everyone. Welcome to Your Life, Your Design podcast. My name is Sophie Koo, and I'm so grateful to have you accompany me today as we talk about some ways of life that work uniquely for you so that you can start living the life that you love by design and not by default. everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Your Life, Your Design podcast. You've just heard an audio snippet by the White Rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. Does that sound like you? Are you the master of your time? Or are you a slave to it? Are you time affluent? Or are you time poor? When you look at your calendar... Is it filled to the brim, back to back to back? Do you feel like you're drowning from the things you have to do? In his book, Happier, Tal Ben Shahar, author and instructor of the popular positive psychology course at Harvard, defines time affluence as the feeling that one has sufficient time to pursue activities that are personally meaningful to reflect, to engage in leisure. And time poverty is the feeling that one is constantly stressed, rushed, overworked, and behind. Now, when you think about time, what feelings, emotions, experiences, and activities come to mind? I believe many of you would agree that time is one of the most, if not the most valuable resource that we have. And when we think about time, one of the first things that come to our minds is spending quality time with family, friends, and people who we care about. We might also think about places and countries that we've been and which reminds us of special times and experiences in our lives. For some of us, volunteering and time spent being outward-focused might also come to mind. At the same time, I also believe that many of you, like me, would inevitably relate time, well, the lack thereof, to stress. Many of us seem to experience being overwhelmed by having too many things to do and not having enough time in a day to do them. A condition known as being time poor, coined by Ashley Willens, author, psychologist and professor at the Harvard Business School. According to her studies, time poverty is a worldwide trend and it undermines our happiness. People who feel time poor, which is a big population of us, feel higher levels of stress, are less happy, have lower quality social relationships, and even worse physical health. Now, according to the Gallup World Poll data, countries in the world have become wealthier, 
Now, one would expect that such affluence would come with a decline in stress levels. Unfortunately, that is not the case. In fact, since 2008, stress levels have risen from 44% to 55%, and that was pre-pandemic. With the pandemic, average workday has increased by about an hour which was the time used to spend commuting to office all over the world, making stress even more pervasive. Another surprising data is that with technological advancements, especially in areas that help yield higher productivity, whether at home or in the office, one would expect to have more free time. Unfortunately, This hasn't been the case either, as it is now possible to take our work, office, and even home everywhere we go, standing by our smart watches, phones, tablets, and laptops. Now, we now have washing machines, air conditioners, and other electronic or electrical appliances that we can remotely control via an app using our smartphones, without even being at home. And because we still live in a culture that highly encourages and rewards productivity, urgency, and immediate responsivity, many of us feel that we must constantly respond to the expectations and disruptions that come our way, leading to an even higher level of stress and distractions. All in all, leaving us with less prolonged period and more distracted pockets of free time, if any. Now, these pockets of free or leisure time makes it hard to use for something that will relieve stress or make us happy. Author of the New York Times best-selling book on time pressure, Bridget Schultz calls this phenomenon time confetti, which is the little bits of seconds and minutes lost to unproductive multitasking. Now, each bit alone does not seem much, but it all adds up. For example, we may used to have an hour or two after dinner for an evening walk or to spend quality time with our friends or family. However, this same amount of one to two hours is now disrupted and fragmented into smaller amounts of leisure as a result of us responding to every alert on our devices, whether it's social media or work-related, thus reducing the overall amount of leisure time we have available. So, What does this mean? What it really means is, if we really want to improve our happiness, minimize burnout, we need to learn to do a lot less, manage our perpetually increasing distractions, and also spend a lot more time doing nothing. Or, according to author Tom Hodgkinson, idling. Now, idling is active loafing, 
which is taking time to do nothing in particular, like long lunches, midday naps, taking the scenic route, getting lost for no reason at all, or having long conversations with your friends, talking about art, poetry, philosophy, or ideas. A concept that many of us secretly desire, yet collectively frown upon. Tom Hodgkinson wrote in his book that devoting a good portion of each day or week to idling is good for your overall health, your mental health, your physical health, and your relationships. What's important to note is that a person who enjoys idling does not automatically mean that she or he is lazy or does not enjoy work. We all know by now what feeling this busy does to your mental health and relationships and the benefits of having some sort of free or idle time. So how can you break free from the shackles of these time traps and be time affluent instead? How can you make your schedule less hectic? How can you find quality time in an already hectic schedule and become the master of your own time, being able to enjoy what you love doing and at the same time not subscribing to the ethos of productivity at all cost. According to Ashley Willens, one of the first things that will help you become the master of your own time is to start becoming aware of and recognizing the time traps that we unconsciously have set up for ourselves. As mentioned in the above examples, these Time traps are mostly our mindsets and beliefs about time. Some of these mindsets include wearing business as a badge of honor or status of symbol. Again, as mentioned above, we operate in a culture that still supports and rewards business. The busier we are, the more important we appear to be. Other than the European culture, who not only prioritizes but practices prioritizing time, leisure and balance, having free time, both in the Eastern and Western cultures, is generally associated with having lower levels of status. This business status symbol also leads to an aversion to enjoyment and idling, because then... Leisure is lazy. So much so that many of us no longer know how to be idle or simply do nothing. Interestingly, this is cited to be one of the reasons why we find the concept and practice of stillness uncomfortable and thus challenging. Mostly because we are not sure what to do with our free time. A tendency to undervalue our time and therefore spending it inefficiently more often than we're aware of is another time trap that we set for ourselves. This is mostly because it is much harder to track 
or put a monetary value to our time. This is especially true when it comes to making personal purchases. For example, for example, we might spend hours researching for the best deal of toothpaste, either online or from store to store, which might result in a less than a dollar worth of savings. Or we might look for the cheapest air ticket deal but spend even more time in layovers, or worse, in missed flights. So we want to be aware of how we value our time. Now, another mindset that leads to time traps is that we believe we have more time in the future than we do in the present. And thus, we overcommit our future time now. Now, this is because when we look at our calendar, our future schedule always seems more open and emptier than today's. Uh, Ashley Willens emphasizes that we need to be aware of the things that we're saying yes to. If we couldn't say yes to something too today, we're probably not going to have more time for it in two weeks or two months. The next time trap that we fall into is what we've explored earlier, our addiction to and over-dependence on technology and how technology results in time confetti. Now, prioritizing ineffective tasks is another time trap that we fall into. When we are feeling busy, we are likely to prioritize tasks that are urgent instead of important, as it gives us a sense that we're accomplishing something. Next, we're going to explore some scientifically-based strategies and daily actions that Ashley Willens and her team discovered that can help shift your mindset in combating these time traps so that you can be more time-affluent. The first strategy is cultivating time-first mindset in making life decisions, both minor and major decisions, like consumer purchases and career decisions, to start putting time first and to not only conceptually see time for the most valuable resource we have, but to really put it into practice in the decisions that we make. Now, by this time, we would have become more aware of what our default mindset is in the context of our everyday decision-making. And there is nothing wrong with what your default mindset is, especially when it depends very much on where you are in life. What is important is whether that mindset is serving you or not, whether you are making optimal decisions in the life you want to design and live whether or not these decisions are aligned to your values and actions. If you find that you have been adopting a money-first mindset in areas of your life that you're not happy with, then experiment using time-first mindset and experience it for yourself, what that does to your overall happiness or fulfillment. What is also important to note is that 
It is okay to be money and productivity focused. Again, there is nothing wrong with that. But there are many other decisions you can make on a daily basis to reclaim your time and live a happier and more fulfilled life. The caveat here is that you need to first be aware of what your default mindset is in the context of your everyday decision making. The second strategy is finding time. In order to find time, you first need to be aware of what your default mindset is so that you can then carry out a time audit, which is knowing and assessing how you spend your time on a daily basis. Which tasks or activities do you spend time on throughout the different parts of the day? Which were productive or unproductive? And which of those were relaxing or stressful? The objective of carrying out a time audit is to eliminate activities that fall under the category of stressful and unproductive, like constantly checking your email or social media feeds, and at the same time, maximizing the amount of time you spend on meaningful, productive, and relaxing, or productive and stressful activities. Now, this is because many at times, the tasks involved in pursuing our goals are challenging and feel stressful, but they help us achieve our eventual goals. Another way that we can find time in our schedule is to put proactive blocks of time, say about two-hour blocks each day, into our calendar to work on important but not necessarily urgent tasks. This would be a no-distraction, all-technology-turned-off, uninterrupted two-hour blocks. And in order to make meaningful use of these blocks of time, it is important that you have a plan of what you're going to do, which in itself is another way to find time, which is planning your future time. Now, as much as you think you like your weekend to be spontaneous and less scheduled, don't leave it all to chance. At the same time, being too strict with our time can lead to disappointment as we just might not be able to get everything done in the time we have allocated ourselves. So if you're too strict with yourself, you can feel like a failure, especially when you fail to keep your plans for one too many times, and that may lead to depression. So make plans or some sort of schedule with the allowance for flexibility so that you don't end up feeling like you've wasted your weekends or me time. Another effective way of finding time is to prune your schedule and to stop saying yes to everything that comes your way, no matter how attractive they are. Thinking that you will have time tomorrow, next week, or the week after for the things you do not have bandwidth to say yes to today. Start saying no, be unapologetic, and start drawing some time boundaries for you. Another way to find time is to be active in the way you spend your leisure time 
and maybe even consider something thought-provoking. For example, engaging in personal pursuits like volunteering, a new hobby, starting a side business, exercising or socializing as opposed to passive leisure, such as watching TV or relaxing. Active leisure activities have been found to be better at combating time stress. Now, having said that, whether you are engaging in passive or active leisure activities, what's most important is asking yourself, am I still enjoying this? If not, move on to one that brings you more happiness. You can also find more time by being outward-focused in helping others or engaging in volunteer work. Now, volunteering is not only a reliable predictor of happiness, it also increases your feelings of time affluence because giving time away in such an outward-focused manner makes you feel more in control of your own time. Making a time windfall to-do list is yet another way of finding time and making your time more affluent. Now, what we cannot avoid on a daily basis is change. Changes to your schedule like cancellations, postponements, or meetings ending early. Now, such changes are like windfalls of time that we get. Think 5, 10, 30 minutes, or even 1 to 2 hours. These are the times we can use to accomplish small and meaningful tasks, like going for a walk or checking in with a friend, instead of using them to scroll through even more social media feeds. So have a windfall to-do list handy. At work, you can find more time by requesting for more time. Many a times, again, as a result of a work culture that rewards productivity and responsivity, we avoid requesting extensions altogether, even when deadlines are adjustable, as we worry that when we do, we will be seen as less competent. The third strategy is funding time, which is maximizing the amount of time we spend in meaningful activities and minimizing the amount of time we spend in less meaningful, unimportant, and stressful tasks. Outsource tasks that you dislike, or exchange your incomes for more and better time. In other words, buy yourself quality time. Studies have shown that people who spend money to save time reported greater happiness in part because they were spending that free time with friends or family. For example, getting takeout instead of cooking, or buying a used bike instead of walking to work, or even moving closer to work. In a way, buying back your commute time, and then spending that quality time together with friends and family instead. People who spent money on services and products that they deem as time-saving also reported greater satisfaction with their lives, 
Purchasing them helped respondents deal with stress and feel less overwhelmed by their to-do lists. This was true even with relatively small one-time purchases. It helps reallocate the time that has been saved on more enjoyable and meaningful activities. The last strategy is reframing time. Now, reframing time is particularly useful for those activities and tasks that you find in your time audit that are unproductive and stressful, but you're unable to get rid of. Ashley Willens and her colleagues suggest that if you're bothered by work tasks that seem repetitive and meaningless, reframe them in the context of helping your colleagues and your organization achieve higher level goals. And chances are, you will feel greater sense of satisfaction and less stress. This strategy can also be replicated into the context of your personal life. For example, based on studies, treating your weekend like a vacation will help limit your use of technology during the weekend and thus making you feel more present. So these are some strategies that are designed to increase time affluence and help you gain control of your time. However, they are not magic. And putting them into practice requires commitment, dedication, introspection, and lots of hard work. In my opinion, the benefit that you rip is worth the effort and cost. But don't take my words for it. Experiment and see it for yourself. Now, regardless of which of the above strategies you choose to adopt, it might be useful to ask yourself small check-in questions every now and then. For example, if you find yourself arranging your meetings and appointments back to back to back, take a quick time out and ask yourself, why am I doing this? What am I trying to avoid? What am I not wanting or willing to feel? You may then realize that it's because you feel anxious and uncomfortable in making small talks. Now, if that's the case, encourage yourself to leave time for you to have breaks. And this serves as opportunities for you to practice saying no to small talks when you don't want to have them allowing you to deal with the underlying emotions instead. Make time and space to consider what quality time means to you. And if you don't know what that looks or feels like, since it's been such a long time, studies show that whatever your version of quality time, you will typically feel supported, positive and present. Start freeing up little by little of your time so that you can reinvest in activities and tasks that bring you joy and fulfillment. And this is today's episode of Your Life, Your Design podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you've gotten some value from today's content, content that will empower you to design the life you love to live one that is time-affluent and filled with activities that bring you joy and fulfillment. 
If you know of friends who might benefit from today's content, please do share this podcast with them. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to subscribe to the Your Life, Your Design podcast. This way, you won't miss any of the future episodes. And it would also greatly help the visibility of this podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I'll be very grateful if you could rate this podcast and leave a review. Also, please feel free to write to me, whether it's in a form of encouragement, feedback, content suggestion, or simply share your story with me. It may become the content of future podcast episodes. This is Sophie Koo, and you've just listened to Your Life, Your Design podcast. Until the next episode, take care and stay safe.